We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 423 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, October 18th, 2022, the day after Commander's quarterback Carson Wentz underwent surgery. Yes, Commander Carson under the knife on Monday. Uh, the team on Monday evening announced that Carson underwent successful surgery as opposed to failed surgery uh, in Los Angeles to address a fractured finger on his throwing hand that was suffered in the 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears this past Thursday night. No timetable for a return was given. Uh, the reporting is that Carson is expected to miss at least four weeks. Uh, that, of course, can change, but for now, that's where we're at, and the reporting also is that Taylor Heineke now is the commander's starting quarterback. Tay-Tay, paging Dr. Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay is back in the saddle again as edge defender Chase Young, who someday might actually play again, uh, sang during the 2020 season, Heineke. Let's get it there, Heineke. Heineke. Yes, Chase, thank you. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. You know how this goes by now. Veteran QB1s acquired by Washington always suffer significant injuries in those players' first seasons with Washington. Alex Smith in 2018, Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2021, now Carson Wentz in 2022. This is just how this must go. I don't know why, but this be how it be. Uh, has Carson Wentz played his final snap for the Commanders, given that they can cut him this offseason and incur zero dead money on the salary cap. Maybe. Uh, no guarantee of that. Carson could play again this season. But how do the Commanders uh, truly feel about Carson's play this season? And could it be, might it be, that Taylor Heineke, given his mobility, given his knowledge of offensive coordinator Scott Turner's offense, and given the struggles of the Commanders' offensive line, might actually be a better quarterback for the Commanders this season than Carson has been. I'm going to get into those questions and a lot more with a very special guest, ESPN Commanders insider John Keim, 
who will be making his first appearance, his maiden voyage on the Al Galdi podcast. Great to have John on the pod. He's going to spend some time with us and get into a lot with the commanders. We're going to also discuss the job security of head coach Ron Rivera and the situation with corner William Jackson III. Lots of good stuff. Also on the show, next segment, in fact, some thoughts on what could be a big next few days for the Danny. The NFL's fall league meeting is beginning on Tuesday off the bombshell ESPN report from this past Thursday morning. What might NFL owners and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell say or do regarding Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder? I'm going to get into that shortly, including comments on Monday from one of Dan's attorneys. Uh, And I'll talk Capitals, a bonkers game for the Caps on Monday night, a 6-4 come-from-behind win over former Caps head coach Bruce Boudreaux's Vancouver Canucks at Capital One Arena. The Caps overcame a 4-2 third period deficit, won the third period 4-0. The great eight forward Alex Ovechkin, a four-point game, two goals and two assists. A goal and two assists came in that third period. Center of Genny Kuznetsov, three third period assists. A lot to talk about with this game. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from the Rally Mullet on the Commanders, writes the Rally Mullet. Hey, Al, after listening to your podcast, I have a few things I need to say. One is I have constantly watched the Red Zone channel for many years, knowing that the Commanders are just not worth watching. When a team is good, the team's attacking style of gaining yardage on every down and not losing yardage is shown more often than not. Usually this pertains to the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bucks, etc. With the consistent behavior of Washington of bad penalties on defense, bad offensive line play, etc., it's really telling. The Commanders have the pieces to win, but the team can't overcome its own ineptitude. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rally Mullet. Uh, You know, this always ends up being the debate in a bad Washington season. Does the team have the talent to win, but just as poorly coached? Or is the talent on the team overrated? I do think that the commanders are more talented than their two and four record suggests. I said this leading up to the season. I still believe this now. The commanders have a middle of the pack NFL roster. It's not a great roster, but it's not some trash roster. It's certainly a roster that can be better than two and four through six games. I mean, compare the commander's roster with the New York Giants roster. How and why are the commanders two and four and the Giants five and one? The answer is coaching. And hopefully we're in the process of the commander's coaching staff figuring stuff out and the team getting its act together. But we're a long way away from being justified in saying that those things are happening. Email from Philip C., the MD, (laughs) on the ESPN report from last Thursday morning on Dan Snyder. Uh, Among the items in the report was, quote, multiple owners and league and team sources say they've been told that Snyder instructed his law firms to hire private investigators to look into other owners and Goodell, end quote, as in, of course, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Writes Philip, Galdi, love and props to you and your continued success with the podcast. Thank you, Philip. Continues, Philip. Regarding this ESPN report about Danny having dirt on other owners and even Goodell, is no one aware that this amounts to at least the threat of blackmail? To quote John Malkovich from the movie Burn After Reading, 
What you are attempting is called blackmail, which is a federal crime. If you ever carried out your intended scheme, you would be dealing with such an S-storm of consequences. Your head would be spinning faster than the wheels on your Schwinn bicycle. I hope the NFL and owners call his bluff. He has to go. Thank you for the email, Philip. Yeah, one of the many interesting things about the ESPN report is this. So the report says that multiple NFL owners and league and team sources have been told that Dan Snyder instructed his law firms to hire private investigators to look into other owners and Roger Goodell. The report doesn't say with certainty that Dan has done this. The report doesn't offer any proof that Dan actually did this. In other words, it could be that Dan's bluffing. It could be that Dan has told people that he has dug up dirt on other NFL owners at Roger Goodell, when in fact Dan has not done this, and Dan has only told people that he has done this in order to intimidate other NFL owners and Goodell. Something to think about. I mean, Dan digging up dirt on other owners in Goodell is believable, right, given the shadow investigation that he, per Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform, carried out in the workplace misconduct scandal. And so maybe Dan is trying to use that reputation to his advantage. Uh, all kinds of possibilities of cons and chicanery in the Danny's situation. Uh, well, a law firm that fights for you, as opposed to digging up dirt for Dan Snyder, is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. All right, so taking place on Tuesday and Wednesday, October 18th and 19th, is the NFL's fall league meeting in New York, New York, in Manhattan. And the big question regarding the NFL's fall league meeting for us is what, if anything, will be said or done 
regarding Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. We last Thursday morning, of course, at the publication of the big report from ESPN, uh, the piece, remember, made it clear that the NFL wants Dan Snyder out as Commander's owner. One veteran NFL owner was quoted in the piece as saying, quote, all the owners hate Dan End quote. Uh, Also, the piece included the following quote. Many owners and top league executives tell ESPN they would like to see Snyder removed as owner. It would clean the slate for a story team and a cherished fan base and reignite the pursuit for a desperately needed stadium. End quote. Uh, And as I hit on last segment, the ESPN report also said that there is a belief that Dan Snyder has dug up dirt on other NFL owners and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell, and that that's a big part of why Dan remains as commander's owner. This fear from other owners in the league of what Dan would do if he was ousted or even if an attempt was made to oust him. You know, this idea that Dan would go scorched earth. Now, what we also had last Thursday were multiple reports that NFL owners had no plans to vote on Dan's future as commander's owner at this week's fall league meeting. But that doesn't mean that Dan can't and won't be a topic of conversation. Uh, NFL insider Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, a notorious hater of the Danny, uh, had the following in a report that came out on Sunday night, quote, officially commander's owner Daniel Snyder is not on the agenda for Tuesday's ownership meeting in New York. Unofficially, the expectation is that he will be discussed. The ongoing turmoil associated with Snyder's ownership of the commanders will be an unavoidable topic of conversation in the room where it will happen. As one source with knowledge of the relevant dynamics explained it to PFT, there is no doubt that the issue will come up. The expectation is that Snyder's status will be discussed during an owners-only session, which likely will happen late Tuesday afternoon. That doesn't mean that there will be a vote to kick Snyder out or that any action will be taken, but the situation definitely will be discussed, end quote. So according to Mike Florio, expect Dan Snyder to be a topic of conversation at the fall league meeting, a meeting, by the way, that Dan isn't allowed to attend, at least if you go by the ESPN report. Uh, That ESPN report from last Thursday morning (laughs) included this on Dan Snyder, Roger Goodell, and Dallas Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones, quote, a league source says Goodell is operating under the premise that Snyder is still under active investigation and the limits imposed upon him will continue. Snyder recently asked permission to attend league meetings again, resuming his old post next to Jones at the table, but Goodell has said no, end quote. So how about that? At least according to ESPN, Dan has been denied by Roger. Now, this was refuted on Monday by one of Dan's many, and I mean many, attorneys, John Brownlee. Uh, He went on B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan and said that Dan is choosing not to attend the fall league meeting this week. So believe who you choose. Uh, Now, regarding the phrase active investigation that I just made mention of. Uh, So there are a number of investigations going on with the commanders. The two biggest ones, Congress's investigation into the workplace misconduct scandal and the Mary Jo White investigation, which principally has to do with a specific aspect of the workplace misconduct scandal, the allegations from former Redskins employee Tiffany Johnston about things that Dan Snyder allegedly did to her. Uh, The Mary Jo White investigation was launched in February. Here we are deep into October and still no findings of the investigation have been released. Heck, for all we know, the investigation is still going on. 
Uh, NFL insider Peter King of NBC Sports wrote the following in his Football Morning in America column that came out early Monday morning. Quote, I was told over the weekend that the league's investigation into Snyder's personal conduct by former U.S. attorney Mary Jo White could be the tipping point that could force Snyder out if her investigation finds more wrongdoing by Snyder than is currently known. The NFL's annual Fall League meeting is Tuesday in Manhattan, and it's unlikely the Snyder case will be discussed there. Nothing of substance is expected to happen until White releases her report, but if the report has teeth about personal misconduct from Snyder, that could finally be the smoking gun to force the league to confront the Snyder headache head-on. End quote. Uh, Yeah, the Mary Jo White investigation remains a massive wild card in this entire Dan Snyder saga. The findings of the investigation could make things a lot worse for Dan and greatly increase the likelihood of him being out. The findings also could maybe not exonerate Dan, but certainly greatly lessen the likelihood of him being out. Uh, As for Congress's investigation into the workplace misconduct scandal, remember that investigation is being driven by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. You would think that that investigation is going to end soon, uh, given the upcoming midterm elections and the possibility, if not probability, of the Republicans winning back the House because Congress's investigation of the commanders has been very clearly split along party lines, right? Democrats are for the investigation, Republicans are against the investigation. Uh, Meantime, one of the more confusing and convoluted aspects of the Dan Snyder saga has been whether he is allowed to be involved in the day-to-day operations of the commanders. Uh, The ESPN report from last Thursday morning included the following, quote, current and former team executives say Snyder is still far more involved running the club than most realize, imploring football decision makers last March to trade for quarterback Carson Wentz despite a deal he made with Goodell in July 2021 when he was also fined $10 million to give up day-to-day management to his wife Tanya. And quote. Now, as I said on last Friday's show, episode 421, the deal between Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell in July 2021 off the releasing of the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation was never presented as Dan permanently giving up day-to-day management of the team. What was presented was a temporary giving up of those duties. I have never understood this thing that people keep doing of harping on whether Dan is back to being involved. It was never said that Dan was being permanently removed from day-to-day management. July 2nd, 2021, a ramification announced by both the NFL in a statement and by Dan Snyder in a separate statement was that Tanya Snyder, who had been named co-CEO just two days earlier, was assuming responsibilities of CEO and overseeing all day-to-day team operations and representation of the club on all league activities, and that Dan, as he said in his statement, would be concentrating his time, quote, during the next several months on developing a new stadium plan and other matters, end quote. Well, uh, this appearance by John Brownlee on B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan on Monday included Brownlee revealing that Dan, in fact, was asked to step away from the team for several months. Uh, Dan stepping away from day-to-day team operations had always been depicted as a voluntary thing. Uh, Not so, at least according to Brownlee, uh, who, again, is one of Dan's lawyers, so you would think that Brownlee would know. But Brownlee on Monday also said that he believes that Dan stepping away ended in November 2021. So July 2021 to November 2021. So this was a stepping away for a finite period of time, Uh, just as I thought, Uh, just as I think we all should have thought, given 
what was put out in those statements in July 2021. I don't get why there has been this constant depiction of Dan having been permanently banned from day-to-day team operations. That was never said. Uh, That's what we all want, okay? But that was never said. Uh, My other big takeaway from the Brownlee interview, by the way, was him just crushing Jason Friedman. Uh, Jason Friedman is the former Redskins employee whose allegations are the crux of the financial scandal. Uh, Friedman's credibility has come under attack, and Brownlee gave the reason that Friedman was fired by the team. I don't know of this having been said before. I had not heard it before, but what Brownlee said was that Friedman had an affair with an intern who was 15 years younger than him, and then Friedman begged to get his job back. Uh, That part I had heard before, that Friedman had begged to get his job back. The affair with the intern 15 years younger than him, I had not heard uh, that before. So uh, that may well have been news. Bottom line, off the bombshell ESPN report last Thursday morning, we have the NFL's fall league meeting in Manhattan on Tuesday and Wednesday. You gotta think that Dan Snyder will be a topic of conversation to at least some extent. And looming over all of this are two investigations from which you would think findings soon will be announced. Uh, Congress's investigation and the Mary Jo White investigation. But until those findings are announced, it's hard to see other NFL owners doing anything substantial with Dan Snyder. And of course, even once those findings are announced, it may still be hard to see other NFL owners doing anything substantial with Dan. He bought the team in May 1999. He has done a horrendous job as owner, and yet he remains as owner. He has survived. Uh, But, and this is a big but, His ownership remains under attack like never before. In fact, we on Monday afternoon had a report from the Washington Post that the office of the D.C. Attorney General has nearly completed its investigation of the commanders and Dan Snyder and plans to take further action in the case. (laughs) These investigations do not stop. It has become impossible to keep track of all the investigations without a scorecard. Up next, our special guest, Commander's Insider, John Keim of ESPN, on what the Commanders truly think of quarterback Carson Wentz's play this season, whether the team might be better with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, the right way of looking at the mess with corner William Jackson III, and a lot more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode and utilize the power of the pod, uh, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We on Tuesday expect to hear from Commander's head coach Rod Rivera, and he no doubt will be asked about his team's quarterback situation as Carson Wentz is set to be out for a while. Uh, we this past Saturday morning had multiple reports that Carson in the 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears this past Thursday night suffered a fractured finger on his right hand and was to see a specialist in Los Angeles on Monday. Then on Monday afternoon, NFL insiders Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofolo of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that Carson is facing a recovery time of what I talked about on Monday's show, episode 422, four to six weeks, and that the commanders are considering placing Carson on the reserve injured list. Then later on Monday afternoon, we got multiple reports that Carson on Monday was to undergo surgery on the fractured ring finger on his right hand. And then on Monday evening, the commanders put out a statement that included the following, quote, quarterback Carson Wentz suffered a fractured finger on his throwing hand this past Thursday night in Chicago. He underwent successful surgery today in Los Angeles. He will immediately begin rehab and is expected to make a full recovery, end quote. The widespread indication is that Taylor Heineke now will be the commander's starting quarterback. The two and four commanders are home to the three and three Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at one. I am very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast for the very first time, commander's insider John Keim of ESPN. He is the longest tenured person covering the team we now call the Commanders. Uh, John started covering the Redskins in 1994. You can follow John on Twitter at John underscore Kime, and John's the host of a terrific podcast, The John Kime Report. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing all right, Al. It's good to see you, man. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to see you. Good to have you on. Uh, So, a change at quarterback for the Commanders for at least a little while here. Look, it may be that Carson Wentz has played his final game as a Commanders quarterback. We don't know. Uh, Everyone, of course, has an opinion on Carson. Ultimately, though, what will determine what happens with him this offseason, right, is how the Commanders feel. Uh, How do you think that they feel about how he has played over six games. Like, if we injected Rod Rivera and offensive coordinator Scott Turner and quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi with truth serum, uh, what would they say about Carson's play this season? Man, I think I think we're going all over. I think it's going to go um, kind of all over the place because I know that there has been a desire to get him to make better decisions, to remind him that he doesn't have to make the big play every time. And that's something they've harped on from the beginning since he got here and tried to reinforce that message time time after time. So I think some of that would be like just play within the structure of the offense and don't hang on or read too long. And, you know, so you can get through your progressions where there's maybe an answer over here or over here. So, you know, I think that's because, you know, it's funny, early in training camp, he had some days where he was off. Well, let me say this. He had day, the, there were days the passing game was off. And I always make that distinction because we don't know all the time. You can see the ball missing a guy. If, there's, if he's consistently, consistently throwing high, which he has a tendency to do, you can look at his mechanics by and large. If the ball is a little bit off or something like that, it could be 
depth of the route. It could be the time. It could be the receiver running it at a different pace than they're supposed to. So that's why I always say the distinction to me is passing it. During that time, when I would talk to people, whether you know multiple people, coaches, whatever, nobody really seemed all that concerned about what they were seeing because I didn't feel I don't think they felt like it was a lot on him. But I do think lately I would go to those two issues I said that don't you don't have to make the big play and you don't have to um, you know you you um, make make better decisions really and then. You know, I do think that, listen, we all know this deal. We've been around this long enough to know that if, again, it's not on him. The protection's been bad. You can look at, you can look at scheme, play calling, other factors that go into this. But from his own play, it hasn't been great. And, you know, if you're a player, you know all the stuff that's gone on in the last couple years, you know that it would be, it would be hard to maintain the strong level of support. But, so I think that's where we're at. It's funny how things play out. The last time that the Redskins played the Chicago Bears on a Thursday night prior to this past Thursday night was in December 2007. Jason Campbell got hurt. Todd Collins came in. Todd was really good. The Skins won, and the team ended up being better off with Collins at quarterback. How realistic is a similar scenario this season? Carson Wentz injured in a Thursday night win over the Bears, but the Commanders actually end up being better off with his backup, Taylor Heineke at quarterback you know it's funny I, Chris Cooley on my podcast we kind of talked a little bit about that he talked a little bit about that and <clears throat> I don't know when you look around the league and even going back to when Tom Brady first went to Tampa the struggles for some veteran quarterbacks who have been in one system when they go somewhere else it's real and you've seen it and I'm not trying to make excuses for him but like that's just it's reality so <clears throat> you you then come in and plus then you throw into the fact that the protection, for whatever reason, hasn't been good. Whether, again, you blame whatever you want, but the bottom line is it hasn't been good, and so it's going to affect the quarterback. And then I do wonder about the mobility aspect for Heineke. Can he provide a spark? Because that, there are things that you're limited to do with it because of his arm, and even with his height, there are things that um, I know the quick game, the short game, the crossing routes and all that, I, I think they felt like at times last year would be a little bit um, off at times because maybe he has a harder time seeing over the line. Well, they haven't been a big, they have that, that hasn't really worked this season so far. So it's not like you're losing a lot of that. So I do think he can provide a spark because of the legs. And I do, so I do, but can he, will he better? I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say he won't be, you know, I think obviously I think Carson's ceiling would be higher. Um, the more he's in this system, but for right now, I mean, he does have that knowledge. And you're right. Like, I do remember that that was a, that was a Sean Taylor year as well. So they played for, you know, there was a lot of motivation coming off of that. But I also remember at the time thinking a lot of that came from better quarterback play from Todd Collins because he had been in the system a long time and knew it very well. I do think that Taylor will provide that. And maybe at times you get the ball out a little bit quicker because of that. Regarding Sam Howell, uh, have you heard anything about how he's doing or where he's at in his development? And what I'm getting at is, would the commander starting him at quarterback right now just be completely unreasonable? Yes, it would. Um, as far as where he's at, I have, honestly, Al, I, after a game like the other night and you get a free weekend and I have relatives in town, my son's in town, 
I'm not checking on their, on, you know, that's something I'm going to get into more this week, right? Just to see where is he at? Cause I wonder that too. So I'm not trying to cop out. I do know at the end of camp, I mean, they were pleased with his progress. I know that it's just that up until um, Saturday morning, it wasn't really an issue. Where is his development at? And um, again, with, you know, kids in town, you know, I tried to take a, a day and a half off of work. So I'm going to get to that this week and just see, but yeah, I do like, I know fan, the way fans look at it is not the way that players and coaches look at this. They're two and four and we can sit there and say like, they've looked like garbage. They're two and four. They're going nowhere. They don't view it that way. They're going to view it like if you, if this is their thing and not me saying this, but if, Hey, if we do this, right. If we do, if we just do this, if we just do this. We can do this. That's how they, because most of these games in the NFL are close. Even that, you know, that Dallas game, the Philly game, there are several plays that swing those games. Now, they're not making those plays. Are they good enough to make those plays to play consistently? Well, you can debate that. But the bottom line is they're two and four, and there are more playoff teams than there were several years ago. And this is also a team that each of the last two years, they played better in the second half. So they're going to, so I lay all that out as to why they would go with Heineke because they still feel they have a chance. Now, you get to the late in the year and you're out of it and it's clear you're out of it, that's when you that's when you say, okay, let's see what Hal can do. Um, the other thing I would say, Al, this is year three with Rivera. You can't have a disastrous year. You just can't. And, and you can't use the Carson thing as an excuse because they weren't playing well with him, you know, and with him as a starter and not just not just him, but the whole team. So you can't use that and say and buy yourself time by saying, well, Carson got hurt and it cost us six games or whatever it is, um, and, um, and go to that. So the point in that is if, it gets, if it's going south and how it's playing, there's a decent chance someone else is coaching this team next year, and, there's, and, and you may have a top 10 pick, which means you may have, you'd probably be drafting the quarterback. So whatever Howell does – you know, unless there's some assurance that Rivera gets it, he's coming back and then they want to see. All right. But, it, you know, um, I think if there's I just I, listen, we've been here a long time. There, it's probably a lot that Howell plays at some point. This is just what happens here. So people will get a chance to see it at some point, I'm guessing. But so that's why you go that way. I mean, Heineke's just there was you know, you never heard anybody saying, you know, he's really pushing Taylor this summer. There was there was a gap between one and two and a gap between two and three. All right, much more with John Kime in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the job security of Ron Rivera. But someone who is very secure in his job is real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Uh, Kellen understands that now is actually a great time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Increasing mortgage rates are sidelining buyers, causing high-level inventory, the likes of which we haven't seen in years. That has led to a reduction in housing prices that offsets the rise in mortgage rates, especially considering that you could always refinance once the rates come down. Now is the time to buy. Think of it like a contrarian approach in sports betting or in analytics. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell 
that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kel.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkel.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. So along the lines of something that you just said, is it overly dramatic to say that Rod Rivera off this two and four start and off an overall regular season record of just 16 and 23 as Washington head coach is coaching for his job over the Commander's final 11 games of the 2022 regular season? Um, I, I'd say, again, we know we've been here a long time. I don't know. Like, I think there's this assumption that, that Dan Snyder wouldn't do anything because of the troubles he has going on. One of the troubles he has going on is selling tickets. Uh, you know, so that is because of the product on the field. So I would not, if I'm Rivera, test the theory that he wouldn't do anything. So I guess from that standpoint, you know, you kind of are just because if you have a really bad year, I mean, we know this business, you know, if you, if you end up strong, you, we, again, like there's, there's a reason to bring them back. So, you know, to a degree, I, I haven't heard anything like where it says, you know, Hey, they're, you know, they're thinking about a change now or anything like that. Just to be clear, this is just a, you know, being around a while, knowing how this works. The one thing you always wonder about in these situations is the money. And, you know, would, would he, because when you fire a coach, when you get rid of change coaches, he's, he brought in a lot of members of the front office. You're going to pay those guys off too. If they, have, if they still have time remaining, you're going to pay off assistant coaches depending on their, how their contracts are. So it's not just uh, whatever Rivera's money is five, 6 million. And you're paying those couple years. It's then it's everything else. So, you know, and I don't know, like I just bring it up because that to me is often a factor. If you're on the fence, um, but I just think it depends. Again, if you go five and twelve, I mean, there's a reality there. Yeah. If you're seven and ten, and, and it's, there's been injuries, but you look good at the end, does that change things? I don't know. I don't. I just. I don't know. While we're talking Dan Snyder and Ron Rivera, I want to ask you about the biggest actual football item from the bombshell ESPN report on Dan from last Thursday morning, that the commander's trade for Carson Wentz was a Dan move. Quote, sources familiar with the deal say that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz, and commander's football staffers have told people around the league as much it was 100% a Dan move, says a source with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal. End quote. I don't expect you to contradict the reporting of your colleagues, but from the reporting of you and others, from the way that Ron Rivera has talked, it has never felt like Carson was forced on Ron. Uh, now, maybe the commander settled for Carson. Maybe Dan did really want Carson. But unless Ron's a great actor, it has always felt like Ron wanted Carson too. 
what's the right way to be thinking about this? It's hard because, and obviously they're my colleagues, and I know, I know how many people they talk to for that story. So I know that there's a great deal of reporting. It's not one. It's not hearing it from one person. I know that. Um, <clears throat> what I would probably, you know, the thing I would say is I know that he was on their list in January. Um, how high? I think you can, you know, there's you can speculate on that, or, or I guess you could, you know, whatever. I just how high was? I'm not sure, but I know he was on their list. I can also see a scenario where. What I know with this owner is if you don't, if you set out to aggressively get somebody, Amari Cooper or something like that, and you don't get him, I've had people who worked for who used to work here would say, you better get the next one. And so then you strike out to go get, you know, Russell Wilson and you don't get him. And, and, you know, you inquire about all these other quarterbacks and you'll get them. So I, you know, is it, and again, I'm not refuting any, I certainly am not going to go against anybody's reporting, but it's like, could it be a situation where he's like demanding that this is the guy you're going to go get now, just go get him. Um, and they clearly had knowledge on him. They clear, he was clearly on their list. Um, but you know, and was it as, cause that's, that was an aggressive move for him with what they gave up. Um, that, that part does seem like a Dan Snyder aggressive, bold move. Um, but the, you know, so that's that's what I know. The commander's defense. Uh, I think that the defense since the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two has played pretty well. Uh, certainly hasn't been perfect. Still gives up too many big plays. Uh, some of the penalties drive you nuts. But to me, the commander's defense is in a pretty good place. Uh, how do you assess the state of the defense right now? No, I, I, I'm, I agree with you. They've, do, they've done a, a much better job. And most of their issues come from, you know, the big play. And in some cases, I think you can look at that, like the Detroit game was ridiculous. I think some cases that was, there was some youth there with Derek Forrest with some, some situations, but there was also William Jackson making, you know, a few mistakes where it's just assignment mistakes. Everybody else knew it and he didn't. So I know everybody wants to fire the, you know, Del Rio, but the defense Usually their mistakes come from, to me, probably more so lately, more so talent-based and getting beat than it is like, you know, not having answers for certain things. You're going to get fooled by some, you're going to get fooled. I thought the Bears offense actually did a much better job than I thought they would. And I thought they did a good job of, of getting their eyes full at times and all that. But, um, you know, I but I do think, I, I, and it's, this is right now, like the, the, the defense is playing where the talent is, right? There are things they do well where the talent is up front and they're doing well up there. And I think the defensive line coach change was long overdue. And I think it's probably been helpful. I think it's helpful to have Ryan Kerrigan there as well. So I think the line is probably being coached better than they had been. That helps. I think the linebackers are maturing. There's still going to be some issues. They're not perfect. Um, but then you look in the back, the corner play has been sporadic because that's what they have. Right. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, William Jackson, one, you know, sounds like he, he wants out. He hasn't demanded a trade, but nobody plays 100 percent man. Al. <laughs> you know, I hate to tell you, everybody's going to play a decent amount of zone. So but my point in all that is some of what they're getting beat on is whether it's him or, you know, Kendall Fuller 
will have some issues on the other side. Is that, you know, are there better things you can do? Of course, there's always better things you can do. They've been a little bit more aggressive. I, I've liked that. Um, and, and I'm not trying to absolve anything from coaching. I, you would like to see, I would say this, you'd like to see that defense further ahead because when you look at Dallas, the reason why they've survived Dak Prescott in large part is because that defense can be really good. And, and so like that, this defense has progressed, but they're not at that point where you can be, they can be a bedrock and offset some of the other issues. So that's where, to me, you, sh- you needed to be in year three. But overall, like they've given this team a chance in those games. And, you know, but, but yet it's always that big play. Like you're, you're doing pretty well. And then Justin Fields runs around because you're, you, you lose contain the outside, you know, um, but then they bow up in the, in the red zone. So, you know, it's, it's, there's more signs. Listen, if the offense were better, the way the defense has played, they could be at worst three and three and maybe four and two, just depending on Dallas, you know, a couple of things there. They, but those teams beat them because they're, because they don't play that way. They do give up those mistakes and they do make those penalties. Yeah. I'm glad that you said what you said about William Jackson, the third, because this whole man corner versus zone corner thing has taken on a life of its own. Yes, the man zone thing is a factor, but geez, he as a Washington corner has gotten beaten plenty in man coverage too. Thank you. Listen, you know, it's funny because in the, even in the preseason, the, the first play of that game against the Chiefs, he's playing 10 yards off. And I get it. That's it's a little bit far off. Not only does he play far off, but he backpedals and all that. So he gives up more cushion. Gives, he gives up a 10-yard hitch. Okay, I get it. But then that's what everybody's screaming about. But the problem is, in that game, he has a couple penalties because he's impressed man and gets beat. And that's where you see that, too. So you're right. And, like, they they played more man early last year, and it did not work. And so they went to more zone in the second half of the year, and that worked. So where I have a – where you can have a big quibble with it is if you know that's all he does well, then don't sign him. Get a guy who can fit what you need to do well – don't just go sign a guy who's rated as the second best corner on the market. That's where you can have a rightful quibble with, to me, as much a quibble with everything is the, the, is the player acquisition part. Did he fit what you wanted to do? You know, it wasn't hard for me to find out when I made calls after they signed him to hear that, you know, oh, I like him. He's a really good man corner. Can't play zone. So that was, that was at my disposal. I'm sure it was at theirs too. And yet, after they lost Darby, that's where they went. So that to me was the mistake. But yeah, you're right. Like the Bengals played a lot of man with him. You know how much I, I think it was in the 40, somewhere in the 40s percent wise about man. That means you're still playing more than half zone. So and that's and that was a high end. Right. So, you know, wherever he goes, someone's going to you're going to have to play some zone and understand what you need to do, operate, how to operate within that. Yeah, the man zone thing with old WJ3 really has become an overrated thing. One more for you. Edge defender Chase Young. Ron Rivera, in his day after the game Zoom press conference on Friday afternoon, said that Chase needed to see Dr. James Andrews one more time before the team would start Chase's 21-day practice window to bring him off the reserve physically unable to perform list. We know that the surgery to address his torn right ACL was not your normal ACL surgery. The ACL was reconstructed as opposed to just being repaired. Uh, That said, Chase suffered the injury last November 14th. More than 11 months have passed since he suffered the injury. Even given the nature of the surgery, has this recovery process taken longer than the team thought that the process would take or no? 
That's a good question. I don't know that I'm going to have a great answer on that because it feels like for a few weeks that, you know, there was some optimism several weeks ago from some people out there. I don't know if it was how real it was, it turns out, because he's not back. Um, but they've been pleased when you talk to them about the progression of his recovery and what he can do. So, and you see him work out and he looks pretty good, but we're, we're not, the big thing with the visa are going to be the side-to-side lateral movement, right? Not just the agility, not just the running forward, but just all the, the cutting and all that. So I don't, you know, I don't know that I've heard that there's been like displeasure with anything um, or anything like that. I just think they want to absolutely make sure because it was more of a reconstructive process, which always adds time to it. And you look at like, you look at Logan Thomas came back and he's not like his knee is not a, he's healthy, but he's not himself. And, um, he got, he got hurt after, um, uh, after chase. So, you know, I don't, so I don't know. Um, I, I think we'll, I think it also, Al, when we know more about when he might come back, like if it's coming back this week, like that's probably in the, within the time frame of that sort of repair for an injury. I mean, it's always in that nine to 12 months. If you don't have the reconstructive, it's usually closer to nine. If you do, then it's going to be, you know, in that later range. So, you know, we'll find out more once we know, and we'll talk to Rivera on Tuesday about that. Excellent. Commander's Insider, John Keim of ESPN. John, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks a lot for your time and continued success. Love talking to you again, Al. Thanks a lot. Well, the Capitals on Monday night were home to the Vancouver Canucks, whose head coach is former Caps head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, The Caps rock the red era, started with Boudreaux as head coach. And the Caps, in the early days of the rock the red era, were known as the turn-em-loose Bruce Caps because uh, they were a high-octane offensive team that, shall we say, wasn't exactly great defensively. Well, the Caps on Monday night played a turn him loose Bruce style of hockey, but at the expense of Bruce Boudreaux because the Caps won uh, a wild 6-4 win over the Canucks at Capital One Arena. The Caps improved to 2-2-0. The Canucks fell to 0-3-0. This was some game. The Caps overcame a 4-2 third period deficit, won the third period 4-0. The Caps lost the second period 3-1, but won the third period for nothing. Uh, big games for some of the Caps' biggest stars. Forward Alex Ovechkin, a monster game. He had a four-point game, two goals and two assists. He had a first-period power play goal, a third-period even-strength goal, two third-period primary assists, a game-high tying four shots on goal, a game-high tying seven total shot attempts, and three hits. And he was number two on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 64.52. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations had 20 shot attempts versus allowing 11 shot attempts. Really good game for Alex Ovechkin. A really good game for center Evgeny Kuznetsov, especially considering that he missed the morning skate, but he ended up playing and he was great. Uh, He had three third-period assists, three shots on goal, and a game-high plus-minus rating of plus three. He went seven and four on face-offs, and if you know your Evgeny Kuznetsov history, you know that that is no small feat. Kuzi doing well on face-offs, and Kuznetsov finished number one on the Caps 
in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 66.67. The Caps with Kuznetsov on the ice in five-on-five situations on Monday night, 20 shot attempts versus allowing 10 shot attempts. He did commit a second period high sticking minor, but Ovechkin productive, Kuznetsov productive, defenseman John Carlson productive. He on Monday night had a third period even strength goal, a third period primary assist on the power play, three shots on goal, and a game high four blocked shots. So you think about this, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, John Carlson, three of the Caps' biggest stars, all having multi-point games on Monday night. You know, those three players came into the game with a combined two points over three games this regular season. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Monday night. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I guess it's only a matter of time before you know it, it starts to cash in. They they've had chances and looks, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about results. And they 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 got going in a big way in the third. And um, you know, it was, it was early on too in the year. That's a that's a good way to win a hockey game. Yes, it is. Uh, plenty of other caps contributed on Monday night for Dylan Strome had a third period power play goal and a first period secondary assist on the power play. Ford Marcus Johansson had two power play assists. The Caps went two or three on the power play. Forward Connor Sheary scored another goal. This guy can't not score goals now this season. Sheary, a third period even strength goal for his third goal in four games this regular season. And he had a game high tying four shots on goal. Did commit a third period holding minor, but the Caps for the game only committed two minor penalties. Uh, the big complaints, uh, number one was goal prevention. Uh, goaltender Darcy Kemper was not good for a second time in three starts this regular season. He stopped just 26 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped just four of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped seven of the eight medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped 13 of the 14 low danger shots on goal that he faced. I mean, Darcy Kemper is here to be a franchise goaltender for the Caps. He has not looked great through three regular season games. It is, of course, early. The sample size, of course, is small. So, you know, I'm not going to go crazy over this, but, you know, three regular season starts for Darcy Kemper with the Caps. He has not been good in two of them. Uh, The Caps went 0-1 on the penalty kill, and Ford Connor Brown did suffer a lower body injury. Uh, Remember, the Caps already are without three key forwards in Nicholas Bankstrom, Tom Wilson, and Carl Hagelin due to injury. But the Caps did win. Next up for the Caps at the Ottawa Senators. Thursday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 424, will have a lot on the commanders. As head coach Rod Rivera is expected to speak to reporters on Tuesday, so we'll get a lot more on the team's quarterback situation. I also may have a special guest for you to talk commanders. Uh, Also, the Wizards, uh, their regular season opener is Wednesday night at the Indiana Pacers at 7. I'll welcome on Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington to preview the Wizards 2022-2023 regular season. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Let's get it there, Heineke! Heineke!